I am more than honored to be here. I, I am so grateful that your pastor invited me to come and share. Uh, it was, I think it was back in October, Alan, when we got together for some coffee. Uh, it was innocent enough for sure. Uh, I just wanted to learn some stuff about planting churches and I knew he had some experience. And so I sat down with him over coffee and we shared life. He shared his burden for this community, for Outer West and, and his journey in life. In fact, we found out that we had similar destinations, different times of our lives, but we'd been to some of the same spaces, same places. And so uh, I found a friend that day. I walked away from that coffee having gained a friend and uh, definitely consider all of you to be my friends too and I'm excited. Uh, as he had mentioned, we started a journey. Uh, my, my pastor, my lead pastor, John Van Pay, uh, Gateway Fellowship Church, uh, right off there of Bandera and uh, Highway 1604. Uh, it was like uh, three or four years ago where he invited me and said, hey, would you be open to the idea of planting a church on the far west campus, a far west side, you guys call it outer west, we call it far west. Um, and I, I said, yeah, I said, let's, let's go for it, let's do it. So my wife and I, with a little bit more than just a little bit of faith said, hey, what would it look like if we stepped out? Would God honor our try? And so we've been to Harlan High School and then after Harlan, we moved to Casablanca and we were there for a little bit of time. And then we knew our time was nearing its end at Casablanca. We were like, hey, uh, where are we gonna go next? Have you ever had that moment where you've asked your family, hey, where are we, <laughs> what are we gonna do next? And uh, so we began praying and I had this idea because I was like, well, I'm, I'm friends with Pastor Allen. Baby, is it weird if, if I call Pastor Allen and ask if we could hang out at his church on like a Saturday night? Is that weird for a church to meet within a church? She's like, yeah, I think it's pretty weird but let's give it a shot. We don't have any options. And so I called him and I didn't have any options. I didn't say that, right? I didn't want to put any pressure on, but I was praying really hard and I reached out to him and I, I, said, I said, guys, hey, listen, would you be open to the idea of a, like us doing a Saturday night service out of your facility? Uh, what would that look like? And, and, you know, I want you to know right now that your pastor and the team that is here were more than gracious. They just welcomed us with open arms. They said, yes, let's do it. Let's get into it. And so I want to say thank you for being the big church. I want thank you for caring about the big church. Um, and, you know, and I heard through the grapevine that you're a big Steph Curry fan. And it's crazy because, like, I was going through the trash the other day. And I found this, um, and I found this, uh, this jersey. And so I wanted to present it to you with a lot of love in my heart. I'm actually a Dallas Mavericks fan, and I know that doesn't win me any points here in, in San Antonio. But I found this uh, online, and I, I thought you might like this. Here, a little Steph Curry jersey. So from, hey, from the far west campus to the outer west campus, receive this gift on our behalf. We love you. Thank you, Pastor. Appreciate you uh, so much. We're having a little bit of fun here today, right? It's okay for us to have some fun. Before I move forward, I want to introduce my family. We're going to do it through picture this morning because they couldn't be with us. We're preparing to receive our nephew today, and we had a long day yesterday, you can imagine. So yesterday was our church. We're turning into Seventh-day Adventist, I guess. I don't know how that works. Some of you got that. All right, all right. Okay. But I want to introduce my family. There they are. They're so beautiful. I love them. Uh, I wouldn't be where I am today without my loving wife. She's so gifted. She's so talented. And uh, she, she is the creative in my life. My life, how many of you husbands, your life would be so boring if your wife was not in your life? I would work all the time, I think, if my wife was not there to say, hey, let's take a break and hang out and have some fun. Um, and I got my eldest son, Nathaniel. I love it. That means gift of God. He's my gift. And then Caleb, 
you're going to learn a little bit more about him. He's, he's just throwing up the peace sign. He's just encouraging everyone to love each other, right? And then grabbing onto him is Olivia. And then, and then I've got Julia. Guys, I am, I'm going to age. I'm 48 years old. And I have a two-year-old. Some of you guys are doing the math. I'm going to be in this thing for a while. But hey, it keeps me young. It keeps me young. That's what they say. But most days I finish the day and I'm like, Lord, how am I, I, don't, know, I don't know if I'm going to have energy for this thing. I got to keep going for a long time. So I'm doing my best to stay fit and healthy. But I love my family. I love my kids. My kids teach me to, to see God in a different way, to, to relate to God, to connect with God differently. I learned so much about God through the eyes of my children. It was a few weeks ago when my, my wife and my youngest uh, daughter were sitting on the couch and they were just sharing some time with each other, sitting next to one another. But my wife had begun... Um, taking in some video chat with her and a missionary friend. That's how they communicate with each other. We have missionary friends in Tajikistan. No churches, no faith, no Bible, no nothing. And so they are in some of the hardest areas, the 2% of the world that has yet to hear about the gospel. And so they are there in the middle of it. And so the only way they can talk is through video chat. So they trade off videos. So she's trying to catch up on her life. And every time she'd put the, the screen to her face to do this, my daughter, my youngest, would take her face, turn it until they were nose to nose and eyes to eyes. And Julia would just sit there and laugh. She just laughed. She just got the biggest kick out of getting her mama's attention and pulling her in. And then, and then so Christy would laugh. She would enjoy the moment and then turn back to the video chat and try to, try to catch up with her friend. And then Julia would do it again. How many of you know that's our kids, right? They just, they, but do it again, that three or four times a day, just laughing, just cutting up. They just loved it, loved being nose to nose and eyes to eyes. And it was, it, was, it was an amazing experience. And when I heard about it, you know, it was something that struck me. It struck me, especially as I was preparing for this moment to be with you guys here today, is that my two-year-old understood what it's taken me a lifetime to understand. And that is that attention is the beginning of devotion. Getting our attention is the beginning of getting our devotion. And it's getting more difficult these days, right? To get our attention. And thereby, it's even more difficult to find people who are devoted, who are truly devoted, who are truly committed, who are truly leaning in. Okay, and here's the deal. I, I don't know how they figured this out. I don't know how researchers figured this out. I don't know how they threw out this amazing illustration or statistic, but I've read more than two or three books that advocate that this generation's attention span is less than that of a goldfish. By the way, we've decided to call our goldfish Dorothy this morning. Hey, Dorothy, it's great to meet you. How many of you Elmo fans out there? Elmo had a goldfish named Dorothy. I'm presenting this gift officially to Alan. So Alan, this is your goldfish. My, my kid, I, I gave it to him this morning. He was like, what, what am I gonna do on the weekends? Like, you know, when the fish needs to eat and stuff. So I'll leave it to you, Outer West. You gotta help take care of the goldfish. Make sure the goldfish thrives. But, but they advocate, researchers advocate that, that goldfish have more of an attention span than this generation. And so that got me thinking. I was like, if, if Christ can't get our attention, then, then how in the world are we gonna be the church? Because we are certainly a busy church. But when Christ comes back for his people, is he gonna find a devoted church? So I want us to think about that a little bit today. I want us to see the key to securing our devotion for God lies in the promises of God, but specifically in the promise, the promise of rest. So I wanna encourage you to turn with me in your Bibles. How many of you brought your Bibles today? 
oh, not enough people. Pastor Allen, you gotta, you gotta get to some work. We got, hey, we got some work to do. But you bring your Bibles to church, guys. It's, it's good practice. Uh, they say, statistics say, the majority of people don't open their Bibles until Sunday morning, but that's not this crowd. That's, that's not this crowd. They don't do that. All right, okay. So you got your Bibles out. We're ready. Matthew chapter 11. So while you're turning there in your Bibles, I want to remind everyone that all the promises of God have their yes and amen in the person of Jesus Christ. Every promise points to the finished work of Jesus Christ, Jesus' work on the cross. The promise of healing, for example, by his stripes, we are what? We're healed. We believe in physical healing. We also believe in spiritual healing. Guys, it's, it's a serious thing. God rescued us from spiritual darkness. The promise of guidance. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He's promised to guide us. He's promised to provide for us, right? Jesus provided all that we needed for life and for godliness. He did. In fact, there are some 5,647, I googled it, by the way, divine promises of God in the scripture. But today, I just want to pick one of them. I want to speak briefly to you about the promise of rest. That's right, the promise of rest. Uh, well, I do want to remind you, though, that while it is a promise to us, it's also a command that we find in Scripture, a command for you and for me. So it's not just a recommendation. It's actually a command that we find in Scripture, and it's up there with, with a lot of more, you know, what we would consider more serious commands, right? Like uh, don't commit adultery, uh, don't murder, don't lie, don't steal. So, and, and then like, you should keep the Sabbath. It's right there with all of them. And so it's not just like a promise. It's not just a nice recommendation, but it's actually a command for the people of God to, to find some rest, to find some rest. And again, we find that promise fulfilled in the work of Christ. So we work, we rest in the work of Christ for us. In fact, Hebrews chapter four reminds us that there is in fact a Sabbath rest for the people of God. So there is a rest, and the Bible talks about it, and we're going to get into that today. I've always struggled with rest. I've always struggled with it because rest is not something that we have to create. It's not something that we have to manufacture. It's not something that we have to perform for. It's not something that we have to please anybody. It's something that we are called to enter into. It's something that we're called to protect. It's something that we are called to keep at all costs. And so let's learn a little bit more about that today. Hope I've given you enough time to turn to Matthew. And we're going to look at the 11th chapter, Matthew chapter 11 and verses 25 through 27. I hope you read along with me as I read aloud. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and the learned, and you've revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, everybody say Father with me. Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. You were pleased to do it, right? All these things have, uh, you know, I need to go to the next verse. Go to the next verse for me, please. All these things, here we go. Next verse. I'm gonna read from the New King James Version. Here we go. Verse 26. Even so, Father, for it seemed good in your sight. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the what? The Father. Nor does anyone know the Father except the Son. He's trying to get a point across to the people here. Except the Son and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. He says, come to me. You guys have heard this one before. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you Ah, there it is. Take my yoke upon you, and you will learn from me, for I am gentle, and I am lowly in heart, and you will find 
rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Hey, this is God's word. And we believe that when we apply our lives to God's word, um, that he will lead our lives. Lord, thank you for your word. And we lean into it today. You will find rest for your soul. God has ordained rest for the people of God. And he wants you to know about it. It's important for us to recognize though, that this promise of rest, it came in the midst of a great, a time of great unrest. How many of you came in here today with a little bit of unrest in your spirit? You got a little bit of confusion, a little bit of frustration, a little bit of angst in your, in, your, in your heart today as you came into church. Well, I want you to rest in the fact that this promise of Jesus to the crowd came at a time of great unrest. In fact, the historian Josephus referred to this period as a time of 10,000 disorders. So you think you've got it bad today. You think you've got it bad, 10,000 disorders. In fact, at the beginning of this chapter, John the Baptist, he's desperate. I'm desperate for the Messiah. I wanna make sure that we got the right one because hey, Jesus, are you the one to come or are we supposed to expect someone else? How many of you know they wanted a little bit of rest? They wanted a little bit of rescue. They needed it, they were leaning into it. And so today I want you to take heart in the pages of scripture, but specifically in the promise of rest. But we're going to look at three things. We're going to make three observations from this passage of Scripture today for you, your life, for your family. Three reasons why we want to enter into the promise of rest. We rest to reflect, we rest to release, and we, we rest to renew. But first, let's look at this, this uh, design, this need to rest to reflect. Um, I, I love this. And when he starts out in verse 25 and 26, he says, at that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise Lord and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for that was what you were pleased to do. In fact, in those first three verses, he mentions Father, his Father, five times. Five times he's, he's communicating to the crowd, listen, the Father needs to take center stage in this conversation. But not only does the Father need to take center stage in this conversation, but if you really, if you really want rest and you say you want rest, the Father's got to take center stage in your life. So Jesus acknowledged the role of the Father with the crowd. He was the Lord of heaven and earth, right? He was the revealer of mysteries. He was the author of everything that was good. The rest that the people needed was indeed with the Father. Trouble is, they did not really know the Father. Throughout the day, we can do the same. Act like we don't know the Father. You know, the Father's a great thing in our devotional time. You know, we start out with our devotionals in the morning. We read the word, we pray. But then we attack our day as if we have no knowledge of the Father. We don't acknowledge him throughout the day, right? The temptation is certainly to move through life with that. We trade the rest that we have in the Father for agony, for anxiety, for, for restlessness. But Jesus promised to introduce the people to the Father because that's who they needed to be connected with, was have a relationship with the Father. And that's the importance of rest. When we draw back and when we make a decision in our lives to practice rest, it means to reflect certainly on the work of God in your life, to reflect on the work of the Father in your life. It's the work of the Father that impresses meaning onto all of your work. Why do you work? Some of you are wondering that. You come home at the end of every day and I feel like every day is like it's on, I'm on a hamster wheel. Some of you, you're like, you've lost sight of what it is and why it is that you do what you do. 
fathers, dads, whatever, every single day you wrestle maybe potentially with your purpose. Men, especially like this, we, we wrestle. We, hey, our work is how we find our purpose. But what happens when you're no longer finding fulfillment in your work? You begin to get a little bit restless. You begin to wonder where God is. You begin to wonder where the Father is in your life. The key to finding purpose in your life is to rest. Because it's in that rest when you begin to reflect on everything that God has brought into your life, everything that the Father has brought into your life. And it's in the work of reflecting on what the Father has brought into your life that you realize that you're not moving through life aimlessly. You're not moving without goal or without any kind of ambition, but no, you're moving in unity with the Spirit of the Father in your life. And if you're not, then hopefully that rest will reveal that to you the work of the Father in your life. I was enjoying a good cup of coffee a couple of weeks ago and I was drinking out of my, my favorite mug. It's, it's one of those family mugs, you know, where you can get the pictures imprinted onto the mugs. And so, you know, I, I got one of those, uh, one of those was given to us, has all my favorite pictures of my family, but it's an older mug, so it only has the boys on it. And the girls give me a hard time about that every once in a while, but, but it just has the boys on it at that point. And my, my Caleb, my, my youngest son, he was just a little baby at the time that those pictures were imprinted onto the mug. And, and so I'm reflecting, I'm drinking my coffee and I, all at once I pulled away and I started to look at the pictures. You know how we do. I started looking at the pictures and I, and I looked at that picture of Caleb and I began to reflect back on everything that it took for us to, to have Caleb. You see, Nathaniel was a textbook pregnancy, textbook delivery. In fact, three months after we got, three months after we got married, all of a sudden, boom, pregnant. We weren't expecting it. We, we weren't even planning for it. But there he was, Nathaniel, and he came, was so textbook, everything was by the book. And, and so, you know, we began this whole thing where we're going to plan our lives out, you know, and everything's going to be perfect, just the way we planned it. And so a year after we had Nathaniel, we began to try for who is now Caleb. Well, year one goes by, no pregnancies. Year two goes by with two, two or so pregnancies, but miscarriage. Year three goes by. More miscarriages, but no, no viable pregnancy. And we began to wonder, God, what is going on? Nate was such a textbook pregnancy, textbook delivery. And now this, what is all this about? We don't understand it. So three years went by and we finally went to a specialist and we said, hey, what's, what's going on? He examined my wife. He said, your, your wife's eggs are like that of somebody who's gone through menopause. We're like, that doesn't make a lick of sense because we, we had Nate and stuff like that. It doesn't make sense, sir, but this is, what, this is what it is. And so we set to work and praying and we got other people praying with us, but we were just praying. We were like, God, what is the deal? What, why are we having to go through this right now? And it was a huge struggle for us. So I remember, and I'm reflecting as I'm staring at the smug, all of the prayers, all of the effort, all of the, all of the belief and the faith that was required for, and then finally, Finally, after much prayer and much work with doctors and specialists, you know, Caleb becomes a reality. Pregnant with Caleb, but even then there was a lot of fear involved in that pregnancy. Oh God, I just pray that you'd watch over our Caleb. I pray that you'd watch over him and, and he carried it all the way through and finally he delivers him. I remember the day, goodness Christ, I remember the day he came because when he came, I couldn't stop crying. I couldn't stop laughing. I mean, I was filled with like so much joy. It was like the weirdest thing, joy and laughter, but crying all at the same time. Why? Because in that moment, 
I was reflecting on the work of the Father in my life. My God had not abandoned me. My God had not stepped out on me. My God had not walked away from my family. My God saw me. He saw my situation. And it was in that moment, some two weeks ago, where I was reflecting on the work of the Father in my life and in my family's life when I could have been tempted to walk a little bit in self-pity. How many of y'all have done that before? Woe is me, oh my God, you know, like, but instead of self-pity, I found myself feeling grateful. And it was that gratitude that changed my atmosphere. It was the work of the Father that impressed meaning into my life, that impressed purpose into my life. And so I challenge you today, have you reflected on the work of the Father in your life? That's the purpose of rest, is to reflect on the work of the Father in your life. That's what he was trying to, Jesus was trying desperately to get the people to connect to the work of the Father. And I want to challenge you today. Perhaps it's an opportunity for you to reflect back, to see. I, I like to journal. Sometimes I can't always see God in the moment. But when I reflect back and I read back some of those years prior when things were so confusing in the heat of the battle, why isn't God intervening? Why isn't God working in my life? And I look back at that journal and I read what I was going through in that time. I have the benefit of hindsight. And I look at that and I go, oh, that's why. Amen. And so why do we rest? We rest to reflect um, on the work the Father, the psalmist did this in Psalm chapter eight and verse three. He says, when I consider, do you guys remember that? When I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers. When I consider, I love that phrase. That phrase is related to the phrase Selah. Have you, got, you guys noticed that in scripture in, in, the, in the book of Psalms? That word Selah, sometimes after, you know, hey, you know, uh, praise the Lord, don't forget all of his benefits, boom, Selah. You know, like where that's thrown in there from time to time. You know, it's mentioned 71 times in the book of Psalms. That's just another way of the psalmist saying, hey, you really should pause here. You really should meditate here on the work of God in your world. So why do we rest? We rest to reflect. I mean, even Jesus in speaking to the crowd in Matthew chapter 10, just before this chapter, he makes it clear, look, even my father knows that very hairs on your head, they're numbered. He cares for you. He loves you. He's invested in your life. He's involved in your life. He has a plan for your life. He has a, do you believe that, Outer West? Do you believe that he has a purpose for your life? He has a purpose for your church family. There's an assignment over this house for you guys to do something special, to do something unique in this community. And, I, and I'm grateful for that. So we rest to reflect on the work of the Father, but we also rest to release. We rest to release. I love that passage. It says, take my yoke upon you. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I'm gentle, humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Back in June, that was really cool to see that you guys were taking a trip to Guatemala. Uh, back in June, a number of the guys from our, our church family went to Oaxaca, Mexico. And while we were there, we visited some of the indigenous tribes that were they're scattered out there in the mountain areas. And so at one particular place, we went and visited with a farmer. Uh, we saw him plowing his field. And I'm super curious. One of my downfalls is I'm super curious. And so like, I, I just like, I was like, grab the translator. And I said, can we run out into the field and talk to the farmer? And, and he was like, are you serious? You want to go out there and talk to him? I said, yeah, let's go talk to him. So I grabbed, I ran out into the field and the farmer looks back and goes, what is this guy? Who is this guy coming, coming to talk to me? And so I pulled up next to him and I said, hey, you know, talk to me a little bit about what you do. Talk to me a little bit about these guys up here. And so like, these are their, his oxen. These are, his, these are one of the guys that took the trip with me. And so like, uh, we're up there and you can see he's got these guys attached together into a yoke. 
And as he began, we began to talk to him, I said, well, how does that all work? And he said, well, these guys are young. These oxen are very young. And he goes, they're, they're, they're untrained. They're not working really well together. And actually out here today, they're helping me plow the field, but they're not doing a very good job because they're very young. They don't understand. They don't know yet. But he said, give them a couple months and they'll learn to work very well with each other. Uh, this yoke and, and the practice and doing it, they're, they're gonna learn to walk very well and keep in step with one another. And they'll become even more productive for me. Right now, it's a little bit of a mess, but you know, soon and with time and with a lot of practice and working well together, they're gonna, they're gonna do some really good work. So just like when uh, that oxen team works well together, only when they relinquish control uh, the, same is the same is true with us. And the Sabbath is a call for us to let go. The Sabbath is a, is, a, is a call for you to let go of the control that you think you have on your life. I'm speaking to somebody out there today. You know what I mean? Like the temptation to hold on to stuff. It's interesting that that, that idiom that we, we hear here, that yoke, was a common idiom, a common phrase uh, used in first century for a rabbi's way of teaching a rabbi's way of teaching uh, and reading the Torah. But it was also more a set of his uh, teachings on how to be human. Being human can be a real tough thing. And we all have different approach to that. But this was his way on how to be human, right? His way to shoulder the crippling weight of life at times, right? Crisis and marriage, divorce, prayer, money, sex, conflict, resolution, government, all of it is mentioned there in his teachings or his yoke. So when Jesus said, take my yoke upon you, he was inviting the crowd to let go. He was inviting the crowd to surrender to their way of living and instead yoke themselves up with his teaching. Some of you are wondering why you've got so much strife in your life, but you've removed yourself from the teaching of the Father. You've removed yourself from the teaching of his yoke, his way of living, his way of doing life. So if you find yourself striving, if you find yourself frustrated, if you find yourself banging your head up against a wall sometimes, ask yourselves, am I really yoked up with Jesus? Or am I holding on to some stuff that I shouldn't be holding on to? It occurs to me that the lack of rest for our soul comes in picking up things that we were never meant to pick up in the first place. The complexities of life become even more complex when we try to comfort through our own means, our own demise. We moved recently from the Holotus area out here toward Calabra, um, Calabra Road. I love Calabra Road. I'm grateful for Calabra Road. It's an opportunity for me to grow in my faith and my prayer time with Jesus. Um, I find myself reflecting on the work of the Father daily. Um, but we moved recently, and so like uh, we're, we're, we're there, uh, we're, you, know, you know how it is with a move, uh, you find yourself, you have stuff. Like, I didn't realize we had so much stuff. How many of you, this was, you, you moved recently, you understand, it's like, it's like, Lord, this stuff never, it never ends. And so like, I'm, we're just, we're at the trash can, just lo unloading stuff. And at one point, I looked at the stuff I was throwing away, and I was like, at one point, you were really important to me. At one point, this was like something my kid had to have. And then like is discarded, it doesn't care about it anymore. And, I, and it's been on the garage floor for the past, you know, like two or three months, whatever. But like at one point it was really important to me, but I found myself throwing it away. And how many of you know, you've been through this before. It's like the purge. When you do the purge, suddenly you feel a little bit lighter. 
Suddenly you feel like, hey, I feel better about this. So my wife and I, we got carried away. We started cleaning out closets. We said, hey, this feels great. So we started dumping everything and just throwing everything away. But it occurs to me that in life it's the same way. We, we pile up stuff in our lives that we were never meant to grab a hold of. And it adds complexity to ourselves and our lives. So look, the rich man was this way. He'd surrounded himself with all of his riches, all of his wealth. And at the end of the day, Jesus said, look, you're in danger of losing one thing and it's your soul. That's the most important thing. And he went away sorrowful because he had great riches. He had a lot of stuff. At the end of the day, Jesus was trying to convince him, look, you need to release to me. Release it all to me. So some of you have been holding on to some things, trying to control your life and your circumstances. At the end of the day, the true life comes when we realize we're not in control, but we give it all back to him. The third thing today, and I want to invite the uh, worship, worship team to come, is rest to renew. We rest to renew. I'm going to break from our primary passage briefly here to Exodus chapter 31 and verse 17, where God reminds the people that this is actually a command to rest. He says, it, it will be a sign. This whole idea of rest, it's going to be a sign between me and the Israelites, my chosen people forever. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth. And on the seventh day, he rested and he was refreshed. I love that idea. Refreshed. It means to renew. And that word renew means to pick it back up again. It means to pick it back up again. I love that. There's been many times in my life where I have lost sight. There's been many times in my life where I've been frustrated. And my faith has found itself on the floor. Perhaps you came in here today and your faith was a little bit on the floor today. Our great heroes in the Bible were careful to renew their faith often. You know, perhaps you've read scripture and you've learned about Moses. Moses did all that time, obedient to the Lord. I'm gonna rescue your people like you asked me to do and then finds himself at the, at the edge of the Red Sea with all the people counting on him, depending on him. And then here comes Pharaoh's army barreling down on him. All the people are like, why'd you do this to us? Why did you leave us here? What did he do? Moses stood up in front of the people and he renewed his faith. And he renewed their faith. He said, look, you're gonna stand fast and see the deliverance of the Lord here today. So he renewed his faith. The great heroes of the Bible, they do that, right? And Joshua, remember there was this whole commotion about whether the people of Israel were gonna follow the gods of their past or whether they were gonna follow the God of Israel. But, but Joshua stood up in front of everybody and he said, hey, you follow whoever you wanna follow. That's fine, you do it. But you know what? As for me and my house, we're gonna, we're gonna serve the Lord. They renewed their faith. Peter, when Jesus looked at him in the New Testament, he looked straight up at Peter and he says, Peter, you know, here's what everyone else is saying about me, but Peter, who do you say about me? And what do you say, who do you say that I am? And Peter looked at me and said, you are Christ, the son of the living God. He renewed his faith in that moment. The Apostle Paul from a prison cell, writing to his protege, could have lost all faith. His faith could have been on the floor, but in that moment, he used that as an opportunity to declare to the people, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it is indeed the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. They renewed their faith. I'm broken here this morning because four years ago I, I had a significant battle. Something happened to me I, I wasn't prepared for, I wasn't ready for it. The stuff came on, it was, like a, it was like a ton of bricks hit me. Church family, it was in an expansion. The church family had tripled overnight. And... Um, this is when I was an executive pastor at the, the main campus and it just exploded. 
We were in a building program and we had expanded out the auditorium, but we were, you know, stressed as a staff team. Hey, you guys need to take care of your pastors. You need to take care of your team, love them because it's very stressful. They care about you guys and they carry it significantly. But um, it just hit me. I, I had some heart pains or what I thought was heart pains. So much so that I went to the emergency room. I didn't tell my wife. How many of you know that was a mistake? That was a mistake. So I, I, I took myself to the emergency room. I said, hook me up, guys. Hook me up. I got something going on. I got some heart pain here. I'm having a heart attack for sure. And so they hooked me up to all the machines, stuff like that. Eddie's a good friend of mine, and he was at the urgent care that day. And, and he said, Matt, you're good. Your heart's good. You're fine. Tell me about some of your other symptoms. And I said, well, you know, I, uh, I, can't, so I can't lead a meeting anymore. What do you mean you can't lead a meeting? I said, well, I get, in, I get into the, to, to the room to lead a meeting with the team to kind of help move the church forward a little bit. And when I'm in that, that meeting, the walls begin to close in around me and I begin to feel like this choking sensation around my neck. And I feel like I'm gonna like throw it, throw up. And, uh, and he was like, what else? And I said, well, I feel like my chest is tightening up and all this, I'm, I'm having heart, I'm having issues. And he said, you're under stress. He said, you got some anxiety. And so I moved away from that moment and I continued to struggle with it. My, I couldn't eat out with my family. We'd go to a restaurant and I have to leave after the, you know, the food was brought to the table because again, it would just come over me. I, could I never knew when it was coming over me. You know, and I, oh, Matt's, my dad's leaving again, you know, and I, I'd have to go outside of the restaurant. My family's eating all by themselves and I'm pacing outside. I go up to my in-law's house. My in-law makes the statement. And she goes, it looks like your husband is on crack. He's strung out. He can't stand still. Because I would just, I would like be, I, I, I just, I was like a restless caged lion is how they, how they described it. And I had just this restlessness about my life and, and, and I, I couldn't sit still and I'd be tapping my fingers. Everywhere I went, I'd be tapping my fingers. And, and finally it occurred to me that, yeah, maybe they're right. Maybe I got a little bit of anxiety, a little bit of stuff that I'm dealing with. After months of dealing with this, I, I walked into an empty auditorium just like this one. And at the very front of the auditorium was a cross much like that one, except it was on a stand at the front. And I was desperate. And the weekend before, we had had our hands in the air and there was a lot of faith left in the room and there was like this residue in the room of faith. But it was all quiet. There wasn't a single person in the room. And I, and I wandered up to that cross and I had just a little bit of desperation. How many of you had a little bit of desperation before? And I walked to that cross and I put my hand on it and I began to pray. And then my prayer turned into sobs. And my prayer turned into heaving. And I began to cry and I dropped to my knees and I began to cry out to the Lord. And then I began to repeat this phrase over and over again, which I just believe was from the Holy Spirit. It is good to be here. 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 And all I could say was it is good to be here because in the moment of my greatest need, in the moment of my greatest desperation, I was reminded that it was the work of the cross. It was the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, his beating, his persecution, his stripes that had purchased the way for me to move forward. And that if I would just have the strength and the courage to turn it over to him and really find rest in him, that he would bring the healing that I needed for my life. Yeah. And so today, we live in a world of 10,000 disorders. Perhaps you came in today feeling that way. But I wanna encourage you today in the Lord. Outer West Community, Jesus Christ wants to be in relationship with you. He wants to connect you with the Father. <laughs> that happens through rest, through the discipline 
of rest for your souls. If you don't have a day of the week, you need to have a day of the week. You're too busy not to have a day of the week. Father, in Jesus' name, bless your church family. They're so precious and dear to you. I pray that you'd minister to them now like only you can. In Jesus' name we pray all these things. In the church